0: Well, are you happy, happy, happy today? I wonder if you'd be happier, happier, happier if you had camo shoes like he did. What do you think? I don't know. Well, I've been doing a series the last few weeks called Happy, Happy, Happy. I mean, these guys are, have caught America kind of off guard by storm. They're just a bunch of duck hunters from Monroe, Louisiana, uh, but they love God. And uh, I believe they've captured America because they're making family and relationships work. And relationships are something that we all share in common in the human race is we're hanging out with people, we're rubbing shoulders with them, we're bumping into them, and how many know everybody wants a relationship to work as opposed to it falling apart. So in this series, what I want to do is I want to focus on some biblical keys, some things that we go straight to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about how to have a healthy relationship. I promise you this is going to help you. It's going to help you with your family, uh, with your marriage, raising kids. It'll help you at work, the people that you work for, the people that work for you. Uh, It'll help you with your enemies, because let me know, we've got all sorts of relationships in the world, but the Bible speaks into them. Now, I started last week, if you were here, we started on what is arguably the greatest relationship principle in the entire world is the golden rule. The golden rule is found in virtually every major religion and uh, Jesus was the one that shared it with us that I'll read it but the golden rule goes back to God speaking to Moses telling him to love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what Jesus said Matthew 7:12 and I want you to say this with me. Jesus said these words. He said do to others what you want them to do to you. And you say that with me. I'll preach shorter if you'll say amen a little longer to agree with me. How about that? Amen. Jesus said do to others what you want them to do to you. It's that simple. That is, treat people the way you want to be treated. I'm telling you, this will work in the locker room at school. It'll work in the ballgame, in the concession stand. It'll work in the workplace. It works if you'll treat people the way you want to be treated. Now, last week, and again, what I'm looking at is, is a series of principles from the Bible that are foundational for any relationship. In the series, uh, in the messages that are ahead, we'll talk about some specific things to do with relationship. I'll talk to you about uh, your marriage, having a happy marriage, raising happy kids. Uh, We'll talk about interpersonal dynamics, about authority, how we relate to authority, about submission, about forgiveness. Uh, We'll talk about a lot of these things, which, by the way, we have a lot more room on Saturday night and Sunday first service if you want to check those out. Same service, same message, but we'd be delighted to have you then. But last week what we talked about is, is the first thing, And I think is the most important thing is in a relationship, I want you to keep your word. Mind you now, Jesus said, treat people the way you want to be treated. I want you to keep your word to me. And the second one was, I want you to tell me the truth. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to have a relationship with somebody that tells the truth all the time, and you never have to worry, as opposed to somebody that lies every once in a while, and you're always scratching your head, are they telling me the truth? Now, the third thing we talked about last week was, tell me before I make a big mistake. The last thing I want to hear is you telling me, oh, I knew that was going to happen. You know, that's, that's kind of what I want to do to you at that point. But you tell me before I make a mistake. And the last thing was is after I mess up, then I want you to help me get back on track. So these were some very basic things. And how many know they relate to all of us. It's what all of us want. And how many know if that's what we want. Jesus said the key is then you do that same thing to other people. So let's pick up another one uh, this morning. And this one is, I, I title it this way, Be Responsible. I want you to do what you're supposed to do. That is, if, if uh, I'm running the snack bar at the football game on Friday night and you told me that you were going to be there, look, I want you to be responsible and be there. If I'm your dad or your mom and, and you say, Dad, I'll be home at 11 o'clock, but something happened and, and it's looking 11.15 or 11.30, I want you to be responsible and call me. And all the parents said, Yeah, listen, uh, when you keep your word to me, when you're responsible, it just builds our relationship closer and closer together. But I want you to be responsible as we relate together. Look, if you owe child support, that's a hard thing in life, but if you owe something, you need to pay it. And if you owe me money, listen, I want you to pay me. If I'm your landlord and you owe me, and if you can't and there's a problem, don't just hide. You know, don't just disappear. That makes it worse let me know. Talk to me. That's being responsible. Uh, If you're working for me, be responsible and don't play on Facebook. Come on, I'm not paying you to play. I'm paying you to work. So these are just basic things in any relationship is that we're looking for people to be responsible. Now let's look at the scripture. Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to go. Now this word responsible, it simply means be dependable, be trustworthy. Be somebody that I can count on to do the right thing. Somebody that you can count on to do the job. Whoever you work for, whoever you're accountable for, that person should never have a worry, are you on the job? Are you working? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? If I'm responsible to my wife, she never has to worry about me having an affair. I've made my vows to her. I'm keeping my word to her. We're responsible. You never have to worry. Now this word, uh, or actually Daniel chapter 6, Now, if you look in the pages of Scripture, there are different men in the pages of Scripture. We think of Moses and Peter and and John. We think of greats, Elijah, Elisha. There's kind of like people that are near the top of their game, Noah. Well, Daniel was a guy like that. And Daniel started out as a slave. See, sometimes in our world, we've come to believe that, you know, if, 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 because of the whatever, the education I didn't get or where I was raised or the color of my skin or my gender, I just can't make it in life. You know, I'm never going to kind of make it to where my dreams are. But Daniel shows us that's just not true. Because Daniel started out as a slave during the period of the captivity, and he literally as a young man goes to Persia. He's raised and trained in their culture, but he still maintains a vital relationship with God. And Daniel is a guy that God promotes, but he doesn't do it just because of his hairdo. Come on. He doesn't do it just because he looks good. Notice what the Scripture is going to say. Uh, Daniel 6, verse 4. The other administrators and high officers who were jealous, by the way, of him, they began searching for some uh, some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Now, notice this next phrase. He was faithful, and say it with me, Always responsible and completely trustworthy. Now, leave that on the screen just a second. I want you to, if I could give you just a piece of advice, particularly as a young person, if you want to make progress in your job, and your career, if you want to get ahead in life, if you'll commit to living that way, it's character. Being someone that's faithful, trustworthy, and responsible, I'm telling you what, people will want to hang on to you. they are someone that if you leave the office or the job or the workplace, they'll want you back. Because a responsible person is someone that gets things done. A responsible person is someone that you can count on. And I want you to imagine if Daniel was responsible for the, you know, the, the Friday night football game. I guarantee you Daniel would make sure the lights were on and they were working. He wouldn't have tried them out for the first time at kickoff. You understand what I'm talking about? The lights would be working. He'd make sure the referees were there. He'd make sure the concession concession stand was manned, it had all the right stuff, and that hamburger smoke was just kind of billowing in the air, going everywhere. Fresh smell of popcorn was everywhere. Daniel would make sure that they didn't run out of popcorn containers. I mean, he would make sure that things were done right. He'd make sure halftime was planned correctly. I'm telling you, when you're a part of something That works well. People just—it's life. They feel it. They enjoy it. It impacts them. Responsible people make these kind of things happen. Now, let me give you an example of a movie. It was called Unstoppable. It's about a runaway train. I don't know if you ever saw it, but one of my favorite actors, Denzel Washington, was in it. It's a true story, and Denzel was a was a train engineer in Pennsylvania, near Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, anyway, as the story unfolds, he's near the end of of, of his tenure. They're trying to get rid of the higher-paid employees. He's already got his notice. And a new young guy shows up, a conductor to work with him that day. And they're supposed to take about 20, 25 cars. They're supposed to move them down the track, you know, a few miles, and that was their job. Well, as the story unfolds, what happens is there's a runaway train heading north, and it's heading towards Scranton. Now, when it gets there, the problem is this train's going 60 or so miles an hour. There's a curve, and you can only take it going 15. There's six or 700,000 people that live there. There's about six cars, explosive cars, filled with a chemical. And if that train goes off the track and explodes, it's probably going to kill tens of thousands of people. It's probably 30, 45 minutes away. It's no way they can evacuate. Now, Denzel has a choice. He's going towards this train, and he didn't even know it, but they're about to have a head-on collision. He somehow finds a track. He gets off, and he pulls aside. And that's the place of, of you ask yourself the question, what should I do now? In other words, he's safe, and there's no problems for him, but now this train is heading towards Scranton. You know what he does? He, he takes, uh, unhooks all the cars, he gets on the main track, and he's ready to go 70 miles an hour backwards to somehow try to catch this train and hook on to it to slow it down so it doesn't kill people that he doesn't even know. Now, mind you, his company's going to fire him. He's totally safe. He's risking his life because he is being, listen, responsible. He's doing something that nobody else can do. He's the only one in that position, and nobody's forcing him to do it, but something inside made him do what was right. I want you to think about this. He's with the conductor. The conductor was the one that helped take the cars off. Denzel's getting ready to go. He asked the guy sitting on the ground, are you going to go with me? Now, when you're in that situation, here's a great time to ask yourself the question, <laughs> what's Jesus saying in the golden rule? The golden rule says, I should treat people the way I would want them to treat me. And look, those people are going to be killed. There's no other plan of the company to stop this train. And he knows it. And he can do something selfish and skirt responsibility. But they get on that train and they go. It's a true story. And they slowed it down. Of course, the train stopped and people were spared. But there's that place in time where you ask yourself the question, what am I going to do? Ask yourself the golden rule. How would I want someone to treat my family if they were in Scranton? Would I want them to put their life on the line for me? Then that's what you need to do for them. And Jesus said, if you'll treat people right, come on, they're going to treat you right as well. Give the Lord a good hand today. Let's look at another one. I want you to go to Romans chapter 13. And here's one that should resonate with everybody in this room. The second way that I want you to treat me is I want you to treat me with respect and honor when I deserve it. Now, let me say it again. I want you to treat me with respect and honor when I deserve it. How many know whether a, a, a young child, a, a young girl in the third grade, and she makes straight A's and she's the highest grade, well, they're going to have an award ceremony for her at the end. How many know she deserves the recognition she's going to get? How many know when a football player scores the touchdown, you know, you clap your hands because there's, you're honoring that guy for what he did as he, as he ran through? How many know when an older person comes and, 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 and they're in the restaurant and they're just at the door, you should go and you should respect age? And open the door and help them aside. Now, these words respect and honor are rooted in the Bible. Let me read a verse, Romans 13, 7. And uh, Hey, you ever wanted to just cut out parts of the Bible and wish they weren't there? Come on now. Well, the first part of this verse I would like to cut out. It says, pay to all what is owed them taxes to whom taxes are owed. So the Bible even teaches the payment of legitimate taxes. But then notice the next phrase. The Bible says to give respect. To whom respect is is owed. Isn't that an interesting phrase? That I owe you. Now, I understand the concept that if I went into, you know, if I go to Dairy Queen and I say I want a milkshake, and they say it's $3 or whatever it is, and uh, I give them the money. I, exp- I understand that for the milkshake, I give them $3 because I owe them money. But the Bible is going to teach us that there are some people to whom I owe respect. And it'll go on further, and it'll say, give honor to whom honor is owed. Now, that I owe some people honor. Now, we're going to explore this, and and let me give you kind of a broad framework first. The Bible teaches us that we're to honor people in places of authority. Uh, We're to honor people, whether it's government authority, whether it's a, a parental authority. We're to honor leaders in the body of Christ. We're to honor our parents. You know, we're to honor people broadly who have, either because of their position or their accomplishments, have done something to garner our respect. Now, this word respect, it means that we regard someone highly, that we treat them with honor when they deserve it. Kind of a hard word to get your hand around, but I know it when I see respect. For example, let's say you're a young woman, you're 24, and you've been seeing this guy for several years, and you want to get married. Well, how many know the respectful thing for him to do is to ask your dad? It's to go and it's to say, I'd like your blessing to be able to marry your daughter. You say, well, that's old-fashioned. Well, it is because our society has forgotten respect. You don't have to do it, but that dad is owed respect. Now, now, listen, this is a phrase in, in weddings who gives this woman to this man. So you're asking the person that was responsible for raising this child to entrust you, come on, who uh, he's questionable whether he can do it or not, But to entrust his little girl to you, and respect would suggest that you ask for his blessing. Uh, How many were raised to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am? Me too. But today, it's almost vanished from our culture. When I was a kid, anybody taller than me was probably going to get a yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Well, what is that? It's respect. Uh, When you're driving down the road and and, and you see a, a police car and a hearse and you see a number of cars with their lights on, you know it's a funeral coming. And have you found that you pull over to the side of the road? There's not a law that says thou shalt pull over to the side of the road. Now, look, when you see an ambulance coming and you don't pull over to the side of the road or you hog the lane, you'll get a ticket. But someone in a funeral procession, you show respect for the life that was lived, come on, and the people that are grieving. So the Bible says that this is a a proper thing that we're to show respect. When the military salutes, uh, it's respect. Now, honor, which is very similar. It's difficult to understand one word without the other. Honor is the way we express our respect. And honor could be a compliment. If someone has, you know, has done something uh, for you, uh, and it was a good job. I told Pastor Mike this morning he did a great job on those video announcements. Well, I mean, he was worthy uh, of that honor, of that compliment just to say that. Don't you feel good when somebody gives you a compliment when you've worked hard? When you maybe worked overtime and you were there an extra 30 minutes and uh, you happen to see the owner of the company, uh, don't, don't you feel it better when he notices that and he says something? When he says, I appreciate That's what we owe each other. Is 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 respect, and we owe each other honor. Uh, if you're if you're a, a military veteran, and we have you stand on, on Veterans Day, Memorial Day, how many know people clap their hands? That's a show of honor, and that's right, and that's appropriate. Um, flowers to the prom queen. I mean, no, she, she, she deserves that because of this honor that she's been given. Well, there's people in our culture, in our society, that deserve our honor. Now, the opposite of honor, uh, we use the word to diss somebody or to show disrespect for them or to ignore them or treat them with disdain. Uh, how many know when you've done something, uh, let's say you're the dad, and, 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 you know, the guy and the girl come home and say, we're getting married, and dad's kind of scratching his head. Or how about this, we eloped and got home. One of my favorite all-time shows was The Cosby Show. And Denise comes home from Africa when she's gotten married, and she says, here I am, I'm married. And mom and dad, you know, are, are shocked because they have been disrespected and dishonored because they wanted to share in something that was so precious. Let me give you an example of this, of a movie. Remember the movie A Few Good Men? It was a Tom Cruise movie, and Tom Cruise was this cocky young lawyer. Uh, the government paid for him to go to school, and now he's got to work out several years as a, as a, in the JAG Corps, in the military. He's only been doing it about six months, but he's a crackerjack lawyer. Well, these two Marines at Guantanamo, had, had, had uh, they were trying to discipline someone, but they killed the guy, and they're up on charges, and they could be in jail the rest of their life. Well, here you've got this Marine that describes himself as gung-ho, that totally believes in his support, his code of honor there's the phrase. His code of honor is, what was it, uh, God, core, country, or God, country, core, family, something like that. It was the biggies, and Tom Cruise was represented just the opposite. And the first time they meet, I thought they were going to have a fight, because here you got this corporal so committed to the military, and this lawyer who's just there because he needs a job, he has to work his time off. And when it came time for Tom Cruise to go out of the room, the Tom Cruise said, aren't you going to salute me? And here's what the guy did, He puts his he, and he was a big guy, he throws his chest out, he puts his hands in his pockets as a sign of disrespect, basically because he's committed to the core and this guy's not committed at all. Well, as the movie unfolds itself, it's a pretty cool movie, Tom Cruise basically takes on one of the most powerful men in the military who's done something wrong, but it's going to be difficult to prove. And Tom Cruise goes way out on a limb, listen now, because it's the right thing to do. And this young corporal, not just because he's going to get off, he realizes that this man has risked his life, risked his career, risked discipline. I mean, the judge is, is telling him he's knocking his gavel, and, and, and the opposing attorney is saying, sit down, be quiet. And basically, Tom Cruise keeps going, and just like that, this colonel tells the truth, and he saves this kid's life. And as the movie wraps up, now rather than him disrespecting Tom Cruise, he comes to attention and he gives him a salute and he says there's an officer on deck. And he gives him the honor because he, now he respects him. I want to tell you, friend, in our culture today, we all need respect. Come on, we all deserve honor either because of our position or because of our accomplishments. And when it comes to us, I mean, no, not only does it make you feel good, but it's the right thing to do. Well, here's what Jesus said, if that's what you want to happen to you, come on, that's the way you want to be treated, that's the way you need to treat other people. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. I'm telling you, the Bible works. Ephesians 4, let's go to a third one now, and it's pretty basic, but it's something everybody in this room can put into practice today, and it's simply this, I want you to be kind to me. I want you to think about the two contrasts to me, and let's look at it in this passage of Scripture. Ephesians 4 31 and I want you to listen to the contrast the first part of the scripture is is, well here's what it says it says don't be bitter or angry or mad Now we're talking about the way that we treat people don't shout angrily or say things to hurt others now I want you to think about your world for whatever reason when I was a kid we shouted a bit in our house Uh, you know we just kind of did I mean, we live in a world today, maybe you have to shout at people. Maybe that's the way you, you get your will done with folks is you intimidate them or or you make them feel bad or you keep somebody under your thumb. You make them feel inferior, whatever the case is. You know, you're just the tough, gruff kind of person in life. Well, the Bible says God wants to change that in you. Do you realize kindness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Kindness, listen to what it says. So, so, so don't do things to hurt others or shouting and all that. But then verse 32, and I want you to say this, it says, be kind. Be kind and loving to each other. Everybody in this room wants to be treated that way. I don't care how tough the person may be that is up the food chain of supervision in your life and gruff they appear, when they get in their inner circle, they don't want to be treated like that. Come on, they want somebody to be kind to them. Kindness simply means this. It means doing good to others. It means helping people in trouble. Meeting people's needs, being friendly, being, being gentle, being merciful. Now, the opposite of kindness, as you can kind of get the picture, it's ridiculing someone, being cruel, being harsh, being rough with them. Let me illustrate this with two people that I've loved very much in my life. The first was my grandmother. I called her mama. She was immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia during World War II. And if anybody had a right to be bitter and harsh in life, it was her. She left her home because in the middle of the night, the uh, Russians had come and they arrested my granddaddy. They, they, they wrapped barbed wire around him. They put him in a boxcar to take him to Siberia. God did a miraculous thing, and he got out of that boxcar, and he comes home. She takes everything they've got, and they put it in a, a, a wagon with a horse. She's got four kids. She's got her mom. Uh, whatever she can put in. Now, look, they had a good life. They had 300 acres. My granddaddy was a postmaster and a farmer. My grandmother was a schoolteacher. I mean, they had a good life. But all of a sudden, they're walking away from it, and they pretty much have nothing. Well, the saddest thing, though, is not just the loss of material things. Two of her children were taken. They were conscripted into the, into the uh, uh, Russian army, and they were just gone. I mean, they were just gone. It was a, it was a tragedy. You know what happened to them? Now, if you want to be bitter in life, there's a reason to be bitter right there. She comes to America, and thankfully, she, they let off the ship in New Orleans, and her first job through a sponsor was working on a turkey farm and hoeing cotton. As she made her way, they made their way up north. Now, I don't know if you've ever done anything like hoeing cotton, or if you've ever heard the phrase, a long road to hoe. But basically, you've got this stick with some metal on it, and you're walking down this long road just chopping weeds. You've got a long time to think and a long time to be angry. Come on. A long time to get bitter. A long time to plot revenge. A long time to want to hurt the people that hurt you. But in her life, I have never met anybody to this day in my life that was as kind as my mama. She would take in any stray cat. Come on. Any stray dog. Any pet that somebody didn't want, she'd take it in. Now, listen, and when they retired, they didn't have anything. They just lived off Social Security. But she's constantly sending money to this orphanage and to that person. She's one of the kindest people I've ever met. I never heard her say a crossword to anybody, except maybe my grandfather, and she'd say that in Latvian. I couldn't understand it. <laughs> but, but, but she was just sweet, and she was kind. Now, I had another aunt that I loved, uh, an aunt, a great aunt, that I loved just as much, and her name was Aunt Grace. Grace, though, had had, I guess, this was never something we talked about, but as I kind of put the family tree together, Grace uh, had gotten married when she was young, but the marriage was annulled. She never remarried. She never had a child. And she had this bitter edge to her. I remember when I married Linnell, and and we were living in California, and my family back there didn't want me to, uh, to marry Linnell because she was from California, and they were taking her little John away. And uh, poor little sweet Lynelle and she didn't have a mean bone in her body. I mean, Aunt Grace was just mean to this little 19, 20-year-old girl when, when 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 we went back. Uh, I, listen, I love them both, but I'm telling you, kindness goes a lot farther in life than anger and bitterness and hostility. And every one of us want people to treat us with kindness in life. Well, how many know you reap what you sow? And this kindness thing is a powerful, powerful tool and principle um, one of the greatest joys that I have as pastoring a church is watching people do acts of kindness to other people. Uh, I mean, it could be things as, as, uh, as simple as a little, a little boy needing glasses and not having any money, and somebody on the side buys him a pair of glasses. The angel tree at Christmas, if you don't pick those, you know, the, the deals off the tree quick, you're not going to get one because people are just anxious to get it because they want to show the love of God. I mean, people going to the home. I can't believe how many people go on mission trips simply to go down and to serve some poor people or a needy person somewhere. People going on uh, ministering to the homeless. People providing food when Linnell was in the midst of her chemo treatments. I mean, it, it, it didn't seem like much, but it was one of the kindest acts we had ever received and nothing we'd ever ask for. But acts of kindness, come on, knits your heart to people. And an act of kindness, if you've got somebody in your world that's kind of harsh and bitter, kindness is can break through. And I'll close with this scripture and this point. Luke six thirty five, Jesus said this, and I wish he didn't say it, but he did. Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to them. Love your enemies and do good to them. Uh, and, and then he went on to say, and then you'll be sons of the Most High because God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So when you are treating people with kindness, you are literally being the arms of God extended. You may not be able to talk somebody into a relationship with God because of your argument, but I'm telling you, you can love them into the kingdom of God because of the way you treat them. When you treat them good, and rather than bad, when Stephen, you remember New Testament? Stephen's being stoned, and Saul of Tarsus is right there giving heed to it. And Stephen says on the, uh, when he's being stoned, forgive them, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine how that must have impacted that man's life? In the next chapter, Saul becomes Paul, and he goes on to become the greatest apostle of the New Testament. Kindness can break through walls of hostility. And guess what? If I've got a wall, I want you to be kind to me to help me get to the other side. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. I want to close with one more, and this is something all of us can relate to. But I want you to think of this before I tell you what the point is. I'm going to ask you what four people have in common. I want you to imagine a woman came to church this morning and she's dressed to the I mean she's a 10. She everything is just perfect, and she goes out to cut a car and she has a flat tire. So she has a flat tire. What does she have in common with a man that's sitting down in by state now? Sitting there all alone, nobody visited him, doesn't know what he's gonna do. What does he have in common with a woman over at St. Michael's just left the hospital with the news? She's a single mom, by the way. She's got kids family's out of town and she just left the hospital with the news that she has cancer and she didn't know what's going to happen next. And then there's a guy at McDonald's on state line and he's been staring at a cup of coffee for about three hours now because he lost his job. And he didn't know how he's going to make his rent payment. What does the tire and the jail and the hospital and the McDonald's job all have in common? I'll tell you. All these people are in trouble and they need somebody to help them. All these people need someone, not necessarily the best cancer doctor in America, though that would be great. But What she needs right now is she needs somebody to care for her, come on, and help her make the next step of her life. And this last point I'm going to suggest to you is what we all want when we're in trouble. If I'm in McDonald's, if I'm in the hospital, if I'm out in the parking lot, I want somebody to be able to care for me, to help me, to kind of take me by the hand and help me get back on my feet. And that's the last point I want to talk about. And and this behavior gets Jesus' attention too. Listen, I want you to listen to Matthew 25. And I want you to imagine what's going to happen one day because you're going to be in this scripture. The people that are in this room, riding down the interstate, every person who has ever lived is in this particular passage. This is a judgment day. It's before heaven, hell, all that. But God has divided all the people who have ever lived in two groups. They're called sheep and goats. It's those that are right with God and, and those that have rejected Him. But notice as we enter the passage, the king, this is Jesus, will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, the first thing he says to these people as far as what characterized their life, Jesus Christ said, I was hungry. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Now, now stop just a second. Now, now we fully understand uh, a, a conservative evangelical theology. You're saved by grace through faith, you know, not by works, lest any man should boast. But Jesus is saying these multitude of people who were coming to heaven, the first thing he said was that when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And then he kept going. And I want you to think about when you're in trouble, when you're in need. Jesus said, I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me, and they're all scratching their head, and they said, Jesus, when did we ever see you in in prison or sick or, or hungry or naked? And then Jesus said, whatever you did, of the least of these other people you did it to me now there is no more you don't have to go to Bible school or seminary or get graduate degrees to practice this How I many no Christianity is no more basic than this loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself and heaven is full of people who care about people Heaven will be populated with people who have love people. And you know what? When I'm in trouble, I want somebody to help me. And And I realize in our world today, there's a lot of people just standing for a handout. And I know, just like you know, that most of the people standing by the road with the sign, come on, are hustlers. I mean, we know all that is out there. But still, you cannot let your heart grow hard. You cannot be calloused. You cannot allow yourself to be indifferent. You cannot be so selfish that you don't care. Jesus said, listen, I was hungry, you fed me." I was sick, you came to see me. And I'm telling you, friends, if you're in that predicament, that's exactly what you want somebody to do for you. There were people that came alongside Lynelle and I on her journey with cancer, I'm telling you what, that helped us survive. And we had the professionals on one hand, but there were caring people on the other hand. And to them, we're forever in debt. Now, I'm going to close with a story to illustrate this last point. Jesus told it, it's from Luke chapter 10. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus is, is basically asked the question, what must I do to get eternal life? And I suggest to you there is nothing, no, no question more important than that one. What must I do for eternal life? Jesus flips it around and he said, okay, you tell me, what does the Bible say? And he quoted the commandment that says, love God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, right on, I agree. And then the, the man wanting to justify himself, asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Or who am I supposed to love? Who am I supposed to care about? Who am I supposed to treat the way that I want to be treated? And Jesus said, I'll tell you a story. There was a Jewish traveler, and he was going down the road, and he was in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he was by himself. He was jumped by some robbers. And these robbers not only stole from him, but these people, and stay with me now, these people nearly beat him to death. These people, I mean, he's bleeding, he's broken, he's laying on the ground. He can't get up, he can't help himself. Uh, There's no close cell phone tower, you understand what I'm talking about? He's just all alone. Now, I want you to do this right now. I want you to put yourself in that man's shoes just a minute. And I want you to imagine that you had gone to the Perot last night. And you went to the Perot, perhaps it was for a, a, a recital for a friend's child or your child or whatever the case may be. But you went to a recital at the Perot downtown Lots of people were there, no close by parking. So you had to park on the other side of some of the big downtown building, and to save a little time, you cut through an alley. So as you cut through the alley, you're going, you know, you're going to your car, you're anxious to get home, and you look at the end of the alley that you're already halfway down, and there's two pretty big burly guys, and they're staring at you. And you start to back up, and when you turn around, you feel a pipe hit you in the head, and you go to the ground. Now, you're not dead, but you're nearly knocked out, but you're conscious enough to know to feel their hands sticking in your pocket, taking your money, taking your keys, ripping your pants as they took your billfold, laughing at you as they take your cell phone, and just kicking you just for good measure. You're in pain, you're throbbing, you're bleeding, you can't move. You're just there. Nobody's showing up, they're gone, and it's all quiet. Somehow, because of the pain, you fall asleep, and then early in the morning, you hear voices. And you look out of the corner of your eye down the alley and you see two men walking by. And these men, it looks like it's going to be good. They've got a Bible under their arm and they're going to one of the downtown churches. And you call to them. And you say, help me, please, please help me. And they stop and they look. They look at themselves. They look at you and they keep going. So you beg and you said, please, I'll give you money. I got robbed last night. I've heard, I can't, I can't move. I'm, I'm paralyzed. But they keep going. And I want you to imagine the tear that comes down your face as you realize nobody cares. As you realize what you wanted them to do for you, but they refused to do. And then you hear another person. It's about an hour later. And you hear singing. Your hope comes alive again. And you look at that person, and when you see who they are, you realize one of you is a Jew and one of you is a Samaritan. It's a Jesus story. And Jews hated Samaritans. They were raised all their life to hate one another. The Samaritans were the north, north of Jerusalem. They were Jewish half-breeds. They were excluded from the covenant. They were second-class people. They had their own place to worship and Israelites had their own place to worship and it was an inbred hatred. Now, Jew and Samaritan may not mean much to you, but imagine one of you is Trayvon Martin and the other is George Zimmerman one of you is gay and one of you is straight one of you is old and rich one of you is young and poor and there's a lot of walls that divide us in society some of those walls are from our culture some of those walls are perpetuated by our people that try to get elected to try to keep us envying one another and trying to want what you want and feel bad because i don't have it because i'm not all that kind of stuff But you're looking at this person now, and you are very different. You've been taught all your life to hate, to hate them. You've been taught all your life that you're better than they are. And as you're standing there looking at this person on the ground, the words of Jesus come to mind. Whatever you want men to do to you, you do to them. You treat people the way you want to be treated. Well, how many know if you're a sincere Christian, when Jesus' words come to mind, that's the end of the story. You go down the alley, even though it could cost you something, even though the guys may still be there, first thing you do is you get on your knee and you put your arm on them. You put your hand on the forehead or you take them by the hand and you say, let's pray together because God's going to help you get out of this mess. And you pray for them and all of a sudden they breathe a sigh of relief. And then you bring your car and you put them in the car or you call an ambulance and you get them to the hospital. Now here's something I want to tell you. If there was more of that behavior, Texas County, USA would be a different place. If there was more of golden rule living, America would be a different place. And we can't control what the world does, but how me know we can control what we do. If you and I say that we're going to treat people, come on, the way we want to be treated. To God be the glory. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning.